Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I have way too much energy for the moment that I am in right now. It is 5.53 a.m. Uh, and I am sitting outside of Pittsburgh Wegmans waiting for it to open at 6 a.m. so that I can go in and get lime juice. Do you want to know why I need lime juice at 6 o'clock in the morning? I'm going to tell you. So uh, something that has been happening that has been upsetting me as the world gets back to normal post-COVID, and it is wonderful, and I don't know that we are truly post-COVID because there's a lot of repercussions and things still coming from COVID, but um, the and COVID, obviously, it still exists, but now we have a vaccine, but our children are still, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's not the conversation we're here to have, but uh, something that upsets me is when people... Uh, and, and generally people outside of the food business, and that's there's nothing wrong with being outside of the food business. I'm just saying when you're outside of the food business, this stuff might come as news to you. Uh, we'll say things like, uh, shouldn't the supply chain be back intact now? COVID's over. And you go, <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh. And then you realize they're serious. No, um, I'm buying lime juice because the company that makes the containers for the lime juice that we buy lime juice in doesn't have any containers for the lime juice company to put their lime juice in. And therefore, they don't believe they'll have any lime juice for weeks. And I need lime juice. So we're doing, uh, we are, we're going to buy lime juice from Wegmans today to use in a sample for something this is just a sample this is not a commercial product this is a um new customer it, this this is what i live for um th this is the stuff that i really really love so basically today i have a uh, customer coming in a guy and his son who have a home barbecue sauce recipe that they would like to bring to life and we're doing a little kettle of it to kind of create a um prototype so that the prototype can then go on to be tested and um potentially then we would uh, mock it up and turn it into a real retail product. And I just, I love that stuff. That's what we do at Craft Cannery. That's my, I, I just, I cannot wait to work with this guy and his son and just bring their dream to life and very excited for that. So anyway, uh, yeah, I'm sitting in a Wegmans parking lot killing a few minutes until six o'clock rolls around and I can walk in. So I said, let me do my, the intro to my podcast today. Evan Dawson is my guest. I was on Evan's show last week, last Friday talking about culture and and uh basically right after the show i whipped out the microphones and completely changed the subject on him and he said what do you want to talk about and i said you and so that's where this came from so you'll hear a conversation with evan in just a couple of minutes but in an effort to kill the uh, five minutes i have left till the doors here at wegman's open i wanted to dive a little deeper into a topic that came up this week that had me really thinking it was it came up uh during my new york kitchen cooking class that i do once a month for Guglielmo sauce, and I was on my way home, and I spent the whole 30 minutes the way home thinking about this. So I got into a conversation with somebody about luck and the extent to which luck plays a part in anything and everything that any of us do, and specifically when it comes down to very successful people. To what extent have very successful people benefited from luck? And there were a few examples used, and I'll tell you what those were, <clears throat> and they are um, all examples of people you probably have heard of. Uh, for example, LeBron James, okay? To what extent is LeBron James' success tied to luck? And it's an interesting conversation because there is some. There is some luck involved. Now, obviously, LeBron James is 
one of the greatest athletes of all time, okay? However, the fact that he was born when he was born, where he was born, with access to a playground, the fact that he wasn't born in, uh, you know, freaking, uh, I don't know, Iceland or something to, like, the family of some coal miners. I don't even, do they have coal mining in Iceland? I don't even know. I'm making this up. But I'm saying just the fact that he was born in the United States where there's a playground with basketball hoops. And I know that LeBron James did not come from privilege by any means. LeBron did come from a, a, a tough background, and I, I don't know if you've ever read his book or familiar with his background, but a period of time where, you know, his father's never been in the picture. His mother, um, at one point in time, left him to live with somebody else because she was not able to make ends meet, and so he had a tough life. So by no means am I trying to say, hey, LeBron had privilege, but he did have luck. He did have luck being born when he was born, where he was born. Another good example is, uh, uh, to localize that a little bit, is Brother Weeze. Brother Weeze is one of the most just absolutely naturally born raw talents I've ever seen in my life, ever seen or been around. I mean, he has so much natural charisma and ability to just go that uh, it is extremely hard to argue that he's not all talent, but there's still luck involved. There's luck that he happened to be kind of, you know, piping around back in the day and looking for a job and into music and knew the right people and he got a shot doing overnights and then he got a shot doing mornings and blah, blah, blah. There's a little bit of just timing and location involved luck there. There's one interesting thing that we talked about on the air one time and that was Weez talking about if he walked in today. Now, right now here today, Weez is Weez and he goes on the air and people love it. But if he walked in today, let's say nobody ever heard of him. Uh, but he was exactly who he is today. Every ounce of talent, he was the exact personality he is today. But he's never been on the radio a day in his life. And he walked into that radio station today, and he pitched himself for that job to do the mornings with the exact show he's doing now. There, they, he would be laughed out of the room, right? So there's some luck involved in the timing of the whole thing. Just when were you born? When did you go? Same thing for me. I'm extremely lucky in my situation. I've worked kind of hard throughout my life, but also just happened to get put in the right spots a couple of times. Happened to get on the Wheeze show. Wheeze happened to uh, in, enjoy the fact that I was trying to do this sauce business. Happened to go to a Make-A-Wish happy hour one time. Happened to meet the love of my life, Tom Riggio, who happened to decide that he thought maybe I was a hard worker. And happened to decide that, hey, if that guy ever wants to do anything, maybe I'll partner with him. I mean, there's luck involved there. What if I didn't go to that happy hour that night? Right? There's luck. There is luck. By the way, what a douchebag I am. I just compared myself to LeBron James and Brother Weeze. <laughs> I just I realize that now, okay? I'm sorry. That wasn't fair. So then... The end of the conversation, as it is now 5.59, and I do want to get in there because also there's a secret motivation. I'd like to buy some donuts. Um, the end of the conversation is, okay, I'm with you on luck, but at what point does luck actually mean privilege, right? And, and then I, and then, so this is where I will talk about myself because I don't want to blame anyone else for having privilege. But you go, okay, to what extent, Paulie, were you earned throughout hard work, hustle, skill, and intelligence versus luck versus just straight-up privilege. So wh where would privilege come into play? Okay, um, born in America, 
born white in America, born white middle class in America, opportunity to go to college, told I could be anything I want to be when I grow up, walked into a radio station at 22, applied for a job on a country radio station, got the job, right? Uh, there are things that ended up landing me in that Brother Wee's studio. And did I work to get there? Yeah, sure I did. Of course. Did I wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning for 10 straight years? Yeah, of course I did. Those are earned things. But there was luck and, in, in fact, for the latest part of the conversation, privilege that put me in the position to take advantage of that luck when it presented itself. And when you combine all of that with hard work, all of a sudden – you see some success. So it was just, I don't know. It's again, it's a weird thing where I just started to think to myself, to what extent are, to what extent, especially when you look at, at successful people, is their success the result of luck? Because ultimately what this all boils down to, and by the way, I'm not alone. I'm looking around this parking lot and it just struck six o'clock and like a dozen people just got out of their cars to walk into this store. So like, I guess a lot of people wait in line. It's like, uh, who knew? A lot of people wait in line for Wegmans to open. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry. I just lost my thought. <laughs> what was I going to say? Um, so it's it's when it comes to successful people, uh, I think that it's – I think what it boils down to is I don't think there are any situations where you can point at something and say 0% luck. I don't think there are any – zero percent luck situations that exist am i wrong i'd love to hear if, if you think i'm wrong on this just a random thought just trying to fill five minutes till wegman's opens it opens now i'm gonna go in there and buy some donuts and lime juice you're gonna enjoy this interview with evan dawson thank you for listening by the way next week aj one of the founders of nantastic a wonderful fast casual indian chain that's a powerful interview. You'll see what I mean next week. In the meantime, enjoy WXXI's Evan Dawson. Do this. What town are you actually from? Westlake. Westlake. Put the mic in your face. What are you doing? You're a radio guy. I didn't know we were actually talking. Oh, on this the is ra- my that's my trick. This is my trick. I just start. I just start talking. And no, we're on. We are on. <laughs> God damn it. I'm sorry, <laughs> dude. You're actually from Westlake. Okay, so I'm from Conneaut. So you are actually a little closer to being able to claim that you're a Clevelander. No, I mean, like I think anything Northeast Ohio counts. Yeah, but when people see Conneaut, they usually go. They usually go, "Whoa, you're from like." Podunk, Ohio. Is that out towards Ashtabula? Yeah, yeah. We're like Ashtabula and then two more towns, and then the PA line is right after Oh, us. You, you're where I stopped to pee. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you've, <laughs> probably, you've probably been to our truck stop. Yeah. We have two of them now. <laughs> it's very exciting. I think it's. I think it counts. Uh, what, what, so you grew up in Westlake? What high school did you go to? Westlake High School. Westlake High School. Yeah. What did you want to be when you grew up? 
Um, well, that changed for me my senior year of high school because I was a marginal athlete. I was, I've always been like a marginal everything. Like yeah. I'm not really talented at anything. I'm like, like good enough to get away with stuff. So that's what I was in high school and I was going to play sports my senior year of high school. Um, and then I needed a heart surgery right before school started. It was yeah, not, yeah. yeah, it was not an open heart, but it was a pretty serious surgery. What happened? What was going on? Um, I was born with a condition called Wolf Parkinson White syndrome. And so when I was working out or doing stuff that was really physical, um, my heart rate would go from 80 beats a minute to like 250 instantly. Whoa, whoa. And I thought that was normal for a while uh -huh. because I thought, well, that's what happens to people who are physically active. And it, it hurt and it was weird and I'd get lightheaded and then it would stop. And then I was on a basketball court that summer before my senior year and I collapsed. Wow. And they like cut the shirt off me and people were freaking out. And so I had it ablated via catheter and I'm very, very lucky. Uh, you know, it used to be an open heart surgery. So it wasn't, but it kept me out of sports for a bit. They wanted to do some monitoring. And so I got into broadcasting because I grew up in Northeast Ohio listening to Joe Tate do Cavs games on the radio. I wanted to be that guy. I, if, for people who remember cassettes, I mean, for all the young listeners, they're not going to know what I'm talking about, but there were cassettes that we would record things off the radio. And I would record Cavs games off the radio. I can still do parts of the Eastern Conference semifinals when they played Boston. I can do those calls. Or the Eastern Conference finals against Chicago come on, and Michael Jordan. Give us one. Come on, come on. You want me to give you one? Give us one. Give us a call. Hey, you're sitting. What, how many Cavs fans do you come across? Yeah. I'm the only other Cavs fan in, in Rochester. Well, all right. So, so the caveat here <laughs> is that not only did the Cavs have the best radio play-by-play -play guy, but our PA announcer at the old Coliseum's name was Howie Chizik. I only found out after he died that he was like the local Rush Limbaugh, only way more right wing and fire breathing. Uh, uh, but he was a phenomenal in-house PA announcer. Uh, he was the guy who invented, you know, uh, certain calls that everybody does today. So anyway, the call in my mind, this was game four of the Eastern Conference Finals 1992. And it was, let's see if I can remember. Larry Nance had just hit a couple of jumpers and the Cavs were up 27-22. And he said, Jordan goes to the top side, jumper, no, rebound, Nance. Nance to Brandon. Brandon over the timeline of the fourth quarter, the left wing. Terrell outside the three-point line on the left side. 31 seconds to go. Brandon over to Elo. Elo fakes the three, and the crowd goes three. Out on the right side to Nance. Ten on the shot clock. Back to Elo. Three in the air. Good! Yes! In, I love it! And in the background, you hear Howie Chizik going, Craig Elo, fourth yes. The place is exploding. Elo for three! You know, oh my God. We, we're going to finally beat Michael Jordan and the Bulls. Oh, yeah. Fast forward, we lost in six games. We won that game, Yeah. lost in six games. Oh, my God. That was awesome. I, I love that. I taped it, dude. I wanted I, to be that guy. He was the best. He was so good. And do you know Joe Tate used to come to our area and do a high school basketball game every year? I did well, not know he that. He would come and do it on the local radio station. He would do... One game, any high school, and you know, Ashtabula County. I mean, we truly are kind of podunk out there. So the fact that he would come out and do that, that was really, really That's cool. That's very cool. He didn't have to do that. He was the Cavs play-by-play -play guy. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah. Uh, he was so great. He just passed away recently. So great for so long. And so I spent senior year of high school not trying to be Joe Tate, but I was very, very lucky in that the high school where I went to, we had an English teacher who was one of these bone vivants. He was on Young and the Restless. 
He was Chuck Norris's stunt double. Huh. He did. He played football at Purdue and got drafted by the Bears until he had a knee injury. He did everything. And so then he became an English teacher, and he created a TV station my senior year. So I said, well, I'll do sports. Like, I did football play-by-play. I did basketball play-by-play. Then we started what we called a professional series. I interviewed the mayor of Westlake, you know, all this stuff. And I thought... Well, I've got no skills, so I might as well just talk. That's now, all I got. Now, were you having more fun doing the broadcasting, or did you wish you were on the field? Mm, probably the broadcasting, because I was never good enough to actually play. Okay. I mean, I played right. a little, but okay. not yeah, very yeah. much. I wasn't, right. any, I wasn't any good. But did you feel like, at that point, you felt like you found your thing? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I went to Ohio University for broadcasting and journalism, and I thought I was going to do sports, but somebody very wise there told me, that every male student in broadcasting in the country wants to do sports mm. and um, there's a lot more open space in news and fortunately I was a political junkie and so I just transitioned right into news. Okay and so in college is there like college TV, college radio, I mean is all mm-hmm. that, you do all that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I hosted Gridiron Glory, that was the only sports I did nice. in college. Gridiron Glory was the high school football show for Southeast Ohio uh, where it is religion down oh, there. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I, I actually had a little bit of a following because people watched. I mean it was, uh, it was the thing and then I you know, I anchored news. I did some radio there. So you graduate college and like, and so you set out into the world to find a job in, in broadcasting, mm-hmm. right? Is that what happened? Where do you land for the first gig? Well, a friend of mine had gotten a job in Charleston, West Virginia, which isn't that far from Southeast Ohio. Um, and it, was, it was closest market. And interestingly, it's West Virginia, but it's market 72 Rochester 75 is technically bigger than here wow. because it, it's it's Charleston, which is the state capital of West Virginia, but it's Charleston-Huntington, so it's a combined market. Mm. Our news anchors on television had a split screen, one anchoring from Huntington, one from Charleston. Mm. So it was like half the state. It was huge. And I wanted to get a job where my friend had gotten a job. They didn't have anything open, but I got a phone call, and they said, um, come down here and just do anything we need you to do for a while. So I said, whatever. I I said, I will literally do office work. I will clean floors. I don't care. The first thing they gave me was a camera. They said, go shoot a news conference. I did not have, I knew how to white balance a camera. That's it. I get there. I had no battery. I didn't bring a battery. (laughs) Now, one of the competitors was kind enough to give me a battery. That's sweet. And it was a beta camera. Those things were like 45 pounds. It was huge. Then we switched to DVC Pro. And uh, I did that for a few weeks. And then 9-11 happened. And they said, all hands on deck, get out there. And I just worked all day that day. Um, I'm not at all going to tell you that that was a good thing for anybody in the world. I'm just observing that that is what transitioned me to on-air work. You were suddenly a reporter, just Uh, like that day. Yeah, they were like, well, you said you could do this. Go do this. Yeah. And so I did, and I stayed on the air after that. Wow. What was, I mean, that exact day, was that just, we're going to go live, Devin? Were you even nervous, or were you just like, that was such an overwhelming experience that you were like, I'm doing this? So I lived, when I lived in, in West Virginia, I lived in a town called Herkin, which is spelled hurricane, but it's pronounced hurricane. It's like mm. a syllable and a half. And it's halfway between Charleston and Huntington because I wanted to be able to go to either Charleston or Huntington because we covered both and we had state, we had studios at both. And so I would drive in the morning with our executive producer to Huntington when I was going to Huntington. So we were driving together that day and the first plane hit the tower and it was all over the you know radio news. We were hearing it. We were getting phone calls. But it didn't occur to us until we pulled into the lot and the second plane hit 
that this was a terrorist attack. Like it was real. Yeah. And I just remember sprinting into the building and I I know where I went. The fir- First I went to Marshall University, Marshall's in, in Huntington. And, you know, you're just sort of getting reaction from everywhere. And then I was just all over the place that day. I think I was probably on a few times, but everybody was. It wasn't anything special to me, but right. it was trial by fire for sure. So what comes after that work in that market? Do you then do you become a reporter in that market mm-hmm. for a while then at that point? Yeah, for about a year and a half. Okay. Um, and I, I liked it in that um, they gave me a lot of room to choose the subjects I wanted to report on. And I actually did a lot of investigative reporting as a 23-year-old on the coal industry because the coal industry, there are billboards that say coal keeps the lights on. And it does. I mean, the DEP, the Department of Environmental Protection there, it's their DEC, it's all staffed by coal industry executives. I mean, like they set the rules on environmental standards. They probably choose the governor based on whose campaigns they fund. And so you start to, I started getting these leaks of documents that showed these coal mining operations that were huge. They're supposed to have um, all of this space underground of bedrock before you get to the mines because not only do they mine the rock, this is something I didn't know. Most people who don't grow up in coal towns don't know this. You have to use chemicals to clean the rock and then the chemical sludge that's left over has got to go somewhere. Huh. So they created these lakes. They're called slurry impoundments. And if you fly in a helicopter over them as I did, they look like lakes, but it's gray black sludge Ugh. and it's supposed to stay there forever. But they were breaking these rules because underground you're supposed to have you know 100 feet of bedrock so the slurry doesn't bust through and get into the groundwater but they were running roughshod over all that stuff and i i did all these investigative reports and um so did you like break that open that yeah we, that we, was... we did a lot of cool stuff about that yeah wow. i mean yeah. That, that's that's awesome you're 23 you're you probably you break this huge story i was Be- scared that, that had to be yeah well also yeah what is that like when you're about to go on the air and sort of accuse <laughs> yeah it's very scary very rich people oh of my bad god things? rich people so uh don blankenship was the ceo of massey energy at the time massey yeah. was the biggest coal company don was the guy who ran a couple years ago for Senate in West Virginia and ran on explicitly racist ads <laughs> and and did his campaign from his helipad outside his house on top of a mountain. Uh-huh. That dude is, is something else. He went to prison for one year when he probably should have gone for a lifetime because they had mine collapses and people died. I mean, everybody knew this was happening. Right. But as a 23-year-old reporter, you know, their, their attorneys are calling your station and you're going... What am I doing here? Yeah, I don't want to go to jail, but yeah. you know, you knew it was the right thing to do, and that sort of lit me up a little bit. How, was, how like, I mean, you, you now I'm skipping ahead a little, but you've got obviously your whole life now in news. Like, what is it like when you are about to go on the air and say things like that about somebody who's out there who mm-hmm. is guilty? I'm sure they're guilty because you wouldn't be going on the. How does that get to the point where the general manager of whatever station you yeah. worked with that time says, "You know what? Run with it. We've got enough." Well, the answer to that in West Virginia is I have no, I. <laughs> I have no... No idea. Just are, kind of are we allowed to it? swear on this? Yeah, it's all fucking... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was, was going to say, I have no fucking idea. <laughs> I don't. To this day, I don't. Um, and it was solid reporting, Yeah. but I don't recall conversations with anybody but the news director. But the general answer to that question is, there's plenty of times where reporting um, comes with some very careful legal vetting yeah. because you have to be really solid 
because people can sue you because people get angry. Yeah. People who are very politically connected get angry. People with a lot of money get angry. So ultimately you have to very, very high standards and you have to not go into stories just from a sort of a biased or an activist perspective. You have to tell a story if, if it's the truth, not just because you want it to be true. And you probably know way more than you're able to report. Uh, Often, yeah. Yeah, a lot of yeah. the time, yeah. 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 Oh, man. Okay, so let's skip. Let's try. Let's get ahead a little. So West Virginia, what comes after that? Um, I um, I took a job in Rochester. I got, oh. I, I got a job here, and uh, I had been in broadcasting for almost two years. And I started right away, and Chuck Samuels hired me at 13 Wham. I couldn't believe it. I mean, you come here, and it was a, a bunch of legendary people in the industry, mm-hmm. and a lot of them are still there today. Um, and they were very, very kind to me. People like Jane Flash, who opened up her Rolodex, which she still had a physical Rolodex at the time. <laughs> this was 2003. And it was amazing. I came here not knowing what I'd find, and I never wanted to leave after that. Well, um, I was, I was, you just went right where I was going to ask you, did you come here originally on day one? If I talked to Evan in 2003 on his first day to Rochester, did you think you were looking at a year or two here and then major market? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. And then that went away how fast? Uh, two or three years. I had gotten calls. I'd been here for a couple of years, and I got a call from uh, a station in Philadelphia, and I didn't even take the interview. And that's when I knew that I wanted to stay. You were happy. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you on 13 Wham. Those are my first memories of you. So, had a lot of hair then. Yeah. <laughs> you did have more hair then. <laughs> I did. You did. That's right. <laughs> that's a lot of makeup, too. A lot of, a lot of bronzer. Well, uh, did you did you go on the air with makeup? Does everyone go on the air with makeup? If you're in the studio. Oh, actually, probably in the field. Boy, it's been a long time. Yeah. Oh, uh, but of course. Everyone does, really? Oh, yeah, know, man. It doesn't even occur to me. I'm thinking. Found, I'm, foundation first and then bronzer. Oh, my God. I'm just thinking radio my whole life. The very opposite. We were sweatpants and T-shirts. And yeah. Stuff, oh, right? that's one. That's basically the reason I took this job. I did notice that you're dressed nice for a radio guy. Because we should say we're in the XXI studio. I'm wearing like tennis shoes and jeans, dude. Uh, you, but Yeah, but you have like a nice shirt on. Like I, I was kind of, I mean, we had a lot of T-shirts over at iHeart. I'm not going to lie. During the pandemic, <laughs> I, I looked pretty disheveled were you coming in actually coming in? yeah you coming never, in here yeah never did from home ever? no no wow did you did, what was that decision like i mean you, well, they probably would have given you the setup to go home right uh don't know n- no probably not no really because there's a lot that has to happen in this building for me beyond just hosting it mm-hmm. um a lot of the recording of promos and we we take just about every day we take it and spin stuff into the newscasts so I'm editing. I just don't have a lot of stuff at home. We have something called a Comrex. You know what that is? Mm. Where you can broadcast on the road. The quality is really good. It's amazing what you can do these days. But I've got really high standards, and I want it to be studio quality everywhere. Mm. And we ended up sending about 90% of our staff home anyway. And I would come in during the early days of the pandemic, and mostly now too, around 11 a.m., do the show 12 to 2, and done by about 2.30. And I you, you remember what it was like. You're opening doors with your elbow. Mm-hmm. You're like touching nothing with your hands. I happen to be in an office where there's no other. I've got a small office. It's like a closet. So I was never really in contact with other people. So I kept coming. Can we, I actually want to go back a little bit. So 13 Wham, let's yeah. talk about the, the thing that interests me so much was your decision to come over here, which obviously at this point now is a home run. You didn't know that at the time. You didn't know what this was going to be like. Can we talk about at 13 Wham, you're a reporter. And if I remember, you're doing some anchoring, right? Like you're clearly yeah, yeah. climbing the ranks. I, I, was, I was morning anchor, yeah. 
you're clearly climbing the ranks. You're clearly you clearly could have just kept doing that, right? This could have never happened. You could have probably just. Kept I had doing access that. to Don, Doug, and Ginny's drinks. I could have poisoned them any time. There's a <laughs> right, lot I could have right, done. Right. Between whatever you could have done at 13, the other stations, whatever, you could have very easily just gone on to be the six o'clock news anchor on. One I don't. Of those. I don't know about that. I mean, like. I understand you're saying there's a trajectory for this stuff. I don't know that that they would have chosen me for that, but maybe. Okay, all right. So at some point, you had to have come to a decision where you came over here. Can you walk me through how that goes down from the very first conversation you have, whether it's with Norm or do you approach them? Do they approach you? I mean, how does this XXI thing for you come to be? There's only one job like this in the entire region, and it's an unbelievable blessing. And it only became open because the guy who hosted it for 25 years had a stroke. So Bob Smith, who is a legend and has passed away, he had a stroke and it was really tough. I mean, I, I remember hearing that he, he even knew when they took him to the hospital that he was worried that if he was going to be able to come back to work. He was married to this job and devoted to it for, for so long and set a very, very high standard. And when it became clear that Bob wasn't going to be able to come back, Randy and the team here sort of rotated filling and hosting, but they were thinking about, you know, who they needed for this job. And, you know, I don't know if it was Tom Proietti. Somebody put a bug in somebody's ear here to call me. And I knew Randy Gorman well, the news director here, for a long time. So when they called me, uh, I think I first thought, well, no way. And then like five minutes later, I thought, how could I not? if they really want me to do this. I had a young son, one and a half, and I told them, I said, I, I can't be in the office eight to six. Like, I, I've got to have some flexibility. And I remember they told me, well, you're going to find out this kind of job where you're going to have to work all the time, but you're only on the air noon to two, so when you're in the office will sort of be up to you. They were right about that. I've never had to work so much, which is, it's great work. It's great. You know, you're reading all the time, you're learning all the time, but you're doing 500 hours a year, 10 hours a week, and you cannot do 51 minutes on a subject and half-ass it, right? Like, people know really fast if you have not done the work. Have, so, you, have, you, have you ever, between you and I, yeah, and the 14 listeners, have you ever gone into a topic less prepared than you probably should have been? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and just kind of been like... Oh, it's a horrible feeling. You just kind of like, we gotta, I'm going to have to pull one out of my ass on this one. That, that, that's a horrible <laughs> feeling. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you just personally, you get busy, something happens, life happens, and all of a sudden you're on the air and you're like, oh my God, I prepped for five minutes. <laughs> so so I, I'm trying to think of how much I want to tell. So, <laughs> so that's a horrible feeling. It doesn't happen often, but it's a horrible feeling. The two other really bad feelings are, like if you get 10 minutes into an hour and you know it's going to be a terrible stretch just to cover it, that's a bad feeling. Uh -huh. doesn't happen often. Did that happen today by any chance? God, no. no. God, okay, no. good. God, no. <laughs> But, but once a, I, I would say once or twice a year that happens, yeah. and it's a bad feeling, but you figure out a way to make it work. The, <laughs> the other thing that is a terrible feeling is when you get to the introduction and you are on the air and you realize you're about to introduce someone and you don't know how to pronounce their name. Oh, dude, what about you don't even really remember their name? I mean, you probably, you have really no, I, good I, notes. No, I've got notes, I've got scripts, but you always check stuff uh -huh. and you always double check stuff, but I have had times where I went, I'm not certain about this one. Okay. And- uh -huh. And then there are times where I, I strategically only, like if it's a last name that I don't know how to pronounce, I'll only say the first name. So I'll be like, That's well, Polly's been with us. Yeah. I want to thank Polly for being with us. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, in Googly public, what? Yeah, yeah, in public, you know, it's just, hey man, hey man, hey you, good to see you, buddy. You yeah. know, like that <laughs> yeah. one happens. Uh, because I, people probably do that to you all the time. Oh yeah, they they will come up to you, and I'm sure your wife is probably tired of this. You'll be out to eat, and people will be like, Polly, yeah, yeah, and and you will look at probably at your wife hey, and go, man. I have no idea who that is, right? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, we'll walk away from it and show who, and I'll be like, I, I don't, nope. you have no idea. Nope. That was like my life with my dad growing up. My dad would always do that. Flip, hey, flip, and he'd be like, "Hey!" And they would like whisper us, "I, I don't know who this." What is. was your dad? What did your dad do for a living? He was an attorney, but he was one of those sort of New people everybody. who was all over town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but the thing about not knowing someone's name, I should say, I, I never went in so unprepared that I f- truly didn't know their name. But I might. Oh, get you s- know what? <laughs> you <laughs> like I, I? You're so much better than me. No. I would look at someone's face, and and occasionally I would have to sneak a look down just to remind myself. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, I get yeah. that. Oh yeah, that definitely happens. So no, okay. it, but it doesn't happen often. I don't want to give the guys that this is like super unprofessional. It, it's the kind of thing where you do all this work on the subject, mm-hmm. and then you maybe you've got three guests and you know two really well, and there's a third person like, oh great, we've got this person. And then you realize going in, I did not double check on this. Oh yeah, That's yeah. Well, what about how how much do you vet? To make sure that they're good talkers, because if you gotten ever been thrown someone before who gives you just that one word answer, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> um, so you learn that the hard way. Uh, so I started hosting the show in 2014, and maybe three months in, we had a panel on, I think it was on finance, and all of the people who were on were recommended to me, but I had never talked to them, and there was one guy. He's he's the worst <laughs> communicator. I I could not believe how bad it was. And there's three people, and I'm thinking, I ha- I ha- cannot. We're all sitting in a studio. I can't ignore him. Yeah. But my first job is to the listeners, not him. So what do I do <laughs> to find a way to like rotate him in once in a while in the briefest amount of time? It was so bad. And from then. I remember. I remember thinking, I have to at least know if a person can communicate. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a. That is one of the pit in my stomach things I remember is sitting across from someone and just. I mean, I have names. Of course, I'm not going to use them, but I got names I remember. Oh, yeah. Of sitting in that because I would get to fill in on Wham once in a while, and I there was at least one time that I remember sitting across from someone and two answers in. I'm just going, oh shit <laughs> yes this is going to be brutal like how long do i have to go here you look at the clock yeah it's, yeah it's one of the only times you ever go to break early <laughs> it's like, i need bailed can out we here. break again here yeah <laughs> you know let's give the service to the advertisers let's give them another one yeah, yeah yeah okay so back to where i was i'm sorry i'm all over the place you uh you so you get the call from here do do you have to come in audition in any way or do they just say the keys are yours if you want no i mean like it wasn't quite that fast uh we went to lunch a few times. Uh, I did come in and sort of observe how it looked and what it was like and all of that. But I think we knew pretty fast that it was going to be a good marriage. Um, I <laughs> I don't have a lot of skills. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, I can do this. Uh, I can talk. I'm a curious person. I, I love learning new things. Um, I'll read a book for the show in one night. We'll do it. So... Um, and they they needed to make a decision, and it it was important I think for them to go in a direction that was a little younger than they had been, and 
um, but to try to continue the legacy. So it was pretty fast. It, it happened over the maybe a week or so. Oh, wow, that is fast. Yeah. M- maybe yeah. two, but... Is that the type of thing that you... Are you keeping um, your employer in the loop, or is that completely... No, it was awful. I got sued. It's. Did you really? Yeah. Holy shit, I never knew that, man. Yeah. Is that... Does, do people know that, that you got sued? It didn't last very long, the lawsuit. It was more like saber-rattling. Was it a non-compete type thing? Uh-huh. Is that what it was? Mm-hmm. Those don't hold up well in no, New York, th- do they? No, they go, they go nowhere. No. But, but a non-compete, not to bore your listeners like with inside baseball, but a non-compete really is about making someone scared to leave. Mm-hmm. It's not enforceable, and every time it goes to court, pretty much it, it gets taken down. But I had one, and they tried to enforce it. And it wasn't, by the way, the wonderful people at 13 Wham. It was the corporate folks mm-hmm. who were in Baltimore or whatever. And that was stressful. It was uncomfortable. Did that scare you at all? Did yeah, you think, oh, well, my God? sure, yeah. I mean, like... They're going to ruin this for me? Because imagine the scenario. Imagine they win. Yeah. I don't get to come here. Uh. XXI hire somebody else. And now I'm in a place where I'm upset. Uh-huh. Like, wh- why is that good for anybody? I kept <laughs> telling them that. Like, what What do you want here? Yeah. Do you want... You know, do you want me forced to work there? Well, what did you win on the basis of the fact that this just flat out isn't competition? This is not commercial. This is not a commercial venture. No. Right? So I hired a great attorney who ended up becoming a really good friend of mine. Who, if anybody needs a great employment lawyer, Beth Cordell is one of the best in town. And um, she eased my concern, and we never ended up in a courtroom. Um, it. All I can say is it got. It got wrapped up before we even got there. Yeah. So yeah, that's I, I have noticed in those cases that it does seem like it doesn't. As soon as you push back, they almost always. It, basically, what you need to do is get a lawyer to write a letter on their letterhead, and they'll probably drop it against you. Yeah, right. With a few little exceptions. I'm I'm friends with another lawyer who handles those things, Peter Glennon. So I'm a Rotarian. He's our president. Actually, he's technically now our ex-president, um, past president. But he does these, and he does a podcast, and I produce it for him, and he just did one on non-competes. So I just learned all about it. It was very fascinating about how rare and the specific circumstances in which non-competes actually get held up. But anyway, I would think that that would, if it was me, it would have scared the hell out of me. It scared me a little bit. Because they're like, they're going to ruin this for me. This is a big deal. Yeah, that's exactly what it looked like, but um, thankfully that did not happen. What was first show, first hour? What was the topic? It was Louis Slaughter, member of Congress, um, and- I learned a lot from that hour. She was great uh, in that she is a good storyteller. Uh, I don't say she's great from a political perspective. I I don't care politically one way or another what people think. But she was always a very um, feisty and entertaining person. She pushed back at me hard when I pushed at her. And, you know, she was but she was combative in a way that was healthy. Journalistically, I was there to do a job there. And there were times where I pushed and she. If she didn't like it, she said so, but she didn't storm off, she didn't leave, mm-hmm. um, and that was important. Now, I learned a good lesson in that I was married to a script because I had never done 51 minutes, and I was worried about that, and I missed a few openings. You know, when you're talking to somebody and you go, well, here are my notes, and I want to talk about this, but then they give you something amazing, mm-hmm. and you've got to go there. Mm-hmm. Well, I started to see early on in my broadcast career here that I was missing some of that because I was too married to a script. You were thinking about your next question. Yeah, or just like, you know, I was so overscripted yeah. that I, I wasn't doing a good enough job there. So, like, you knew how you wanted all 51 minutes to go, 
and and it just doesn't work that and way. it just doesn't yeah. right right yeah. now t- specifically about interviewing politicians it's the exact opposite of the issue we were talking about before when you get someone in here who doesn't give you answers how do you handle when you get someone in here who wants to give you a 14 minute long answer that veers very far off of the thing that you're actually trying to get to how do you get in during those 14 minutes because that's an issue too with politicians right hmm. have you experienced that one um nope next question (laughs) yeah 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 so um whatever i'm i'm trying to figure out how much i can say all of it uh there are politicians in this town who are known for filibustering Mm -hmm. and you just have to wedge your way in and stop that because that's not good for the listeners listeners know when someone is filibustering yeah I mean, like, oh, yeah. And, and they know when they're not answering questions. Watch presidential debates. Oh, yeah. And a question will be yes or no, and the answer will be some long discourse on BS that's not even related. Yeah. People at home are going, can you just an- answer that? So, you know, rather infamously, the last time the current mayor of Rochester was on the show was July 2017. It was four years ago. And talk about budgeting time. By this point in my career here, I wasn't married to a script, but whenever you've got political figures, especially in um, campaign situations, I have an outline, I've got specific questions, I have notes, and I have an idea in my mind, are we going to do roughly five, ten minutes here, maybe another ten minutes on this subject? You've got it fleshed out in that way, and then you can pivot if you need to. I figured at that time five or ten minutes on this campaign finance stuff that had bubbled up and was serious, and that's what she was subsequently indicted for and is still dealing with that now. But then I thought, we'll move on. But her answers were, were in my view, filibusters. She, she didn't answer. And at one point in the interview, she told me, you should ask me about something else. And you, then I can't move on. Yeah, like then, then, yeah. And you can't, you can't then do you, that. Then she's trying to whoop your ass in front of your listeners, right? She's trying to control your show. Yeah, and I, yeah. And I will say this, Paul. I mean, like, she was very angry that day, and she let it be known after the interview. Yeah. And she not only never came back, members of her, the entire city administration have not been allowed on the show for four years. She really felt like she was treated unfairly. I think there was one thing I did in that interview that was unfair, that I wish I hadn't done, which is I asked her if she was under investigation. I don't think that's fair. I think that's close, in retrospect, I think that's close to the line of like, so are you beating your wife? where even asking the question is incriminating. Did you plan to ask that or did that just come out of your mouth? I wanted to ask that because I genuinely wanted to know if she had an answer for that. Because you you know, you know, hear things from a lot of different sources and everybody knew at the time that that was actually happening. But I should not have asked that to her. Did you regret I, it instantly? Or no, no. I, I think in retrospect I've had to kind of come around to that that was unfair. Yeah, I've heard you address that before on the air. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll talk yeah. about it. And I'll be yeah. honest with listeners where I think I misstepped. I did 51 minutes. I'm not going to get it all right. Yeah. But I don't apologize for sticking on the subject and asking questions that I think needed answers. She said on the show she's in favor of public financing of campaigns, but she was offended that I would ask her if money from developers influenced her. Well, if you're in favor of public financing for campaigns, what you're saying is money can be influencing. So why would you be offended at the question? But, you know, that's everybody reacts differently to this stuff. I respect the mayor. Uh, and if she really felt she was treated unfairly, then I think she's got every right to not come back. And I don't blame her for that. And that's been her choice for four years. And I still respect her to this day. 
I don't I don't necessarily want to pass person my own personal judgment on her, but I did. Uh, so I used to get to fill in for Lonsberry on Wham. Yeah, and one you know Lo- Lovely would not go on Wham. That was another one. She was just wasn't going to go on Wham. But I had worked for Wheeze, and we had her on when she didn't stand a chance of winning the race. Tom Richards didn't even need to come on the air, right? Lovely came on, and Wheeze threw all her all his support behind her, and she was so grateful. And for that reason, I was golden in her mind. So she had never like gone live on Wham, or maybe she had whatever. She wouldn't go on Wham. She certainly wasn't going on Lonsberry. So I get to fill in for Lonsberry, and I just ask her for a personal favor. Can I get you on Wham? And it, honestly, I, I was being selfish. I just wanted to flaunt in front of my management like hey i can do this i can get gets i'll get lovely to come on wham yeah she agreed to do it she whooped my ass she absolutely embarrassed me because she talked the entire time about whatever she wanted and i you couldn't was, get her on the subject i you couldn't were. get her she's good she, near. she's really smart and yeah you know she, she is way smarter than people give her credit for. oh absolutely. my god yeah yeah no, oh yeah oh no no people have been really in many ways unfair to her over over her career so yeah 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 for sure and and um well anyway we can we can move on from that but there was another good one uh, i one time i um moderated a rotary panel and we had three town supervisors on and i think that was the record that was a 30 minute panel i think i asked two questions <laughs> we learned a lesson that day all right so i'll name one other name but i'll do this with love okay <laughs> yeah. Be- it's only because he has so much to say uh-huh but you got to give yourself a lot of time if you think you're going to get multiple questions in with Bob Duffy. Okay, all right, yeah. I love Bob and Bob if you're listening. Bob knows it because Bob's got a lot to say. He's been, he has a lot of experience. Yeah, um, but there would be times that we would have those people on the air, though, because we just know we're just looking for sound bites for the news to play all day because maybe it is going to be 12 minutes of Bob Duffy talking about whatever he wants, but then we got bites all day. Oh, of course, Yeah, and, and he's phenomenal at delivering that. Yeah. No, I'm not saying this in any pejorative sense. It's just yeah. an observation, and frankly, I'd rather have that than people who give you one-word answers and give you nothing, uh-huh. and there's plenty of that out there, too. Okay, so talking about connections, and then I swear to God, I'll let you go. I'm sorry. This is already <laughs> going long. Are I'm you good? i fun. Yeah, I mean, man. It's Friday afternoon. What yeah. the hell? We should have, yeah. you know, I should have done is brought a couple cocktails man that we've really messed this up we have this is not impressive uh connections uh topics 100 percent chosen by you megan you what how does it all work uh 98 megan and me okay. well uh let's be fair here we're t- it's a team mra stein is a production assistant she's awesome she's new to the team she's definitely been contributing um ideas uh bookings etc Rob Braden's the engineer. Rob always has things to say and, and ideas and, and help, and he is th- the absolute best in the business and has bailed me out and covered my ass so many times. Mm. You know you know the value of a great engineer, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, Rob's the best. Um, and then once in a while, you, you, you know, you get things that come to you from other people in the building. But we probably get a couple hundred show pitches a week via email. It's a lot. Right. We are constantly like, oh, we got to have a pitch meeting because we're drowning here. But we choose most of it, yeah. It's us. I have something in my office called the Bob, the Big Ass Whiteboard, and that's got dozens of ideas at all times. Just all the ideas. It's up on the Bob. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you, there's got to be a lot that hits the cutting room floor in terms of there's got to be ideas. You said you get hundreds of pitches a week. There's got to be a lot that's Well, just, a lot of them are terrible. But Sure, yeah. Have you, yeah. <laughs> Never mind, I won't ask you. I was going to ask you, has a terrible idea ever made it on the air? Mm. We, Come on, 500 hours a year, they're not all great. Uh, but but most of the time, we don't even they're not even worth a callback. What about the opposite? Does anyone ever come and say, Evan, I don't think we should touch that? 
Does that ever happen to you? We, we shouldn't. Oh, in, in this building, say we shouldn't yeah, touch it? Yeah. No, we don't really believe in third rails. Um, if we're really going to be the venue for people who can bridge just about anything, then we can't have things that are off limits. I mean, we do shows. We'll, we'll talk about sex. We talk Israel-Palestine, which is one of the most divisive, painful things that people can talk about. We talk politics, religion. And I, no, I don't, I don't think so. I, I'm trying to think if there's ever been a time where someone in this building came and said, don't touch it. Mm -hmm. I don't think so. And, and I think that's because the ethos of this, the whole idea here is that we can productively have a conversation about anything. Yeah, and you do. Um, do you put a lot of, how much thought do you put into too many heavy topics in a row? We mm -hmm. should have a light one. Mm -hmm. uh, not enough is the answer, but that comes up with some frequency because um, there's a lot of heavy things happening in this world. And there'll be a time where, you know, Megan, who is really the brains of everything, and she's the WXXI employee of the year, voted by the staff. She is amazing. She's an absolute warrior. She's dealing with breast cancer. She's incredible. Right. She's an incredible woman yeah. in every way. Um, she will say once in a while, we, we got to go, we got to lighten this up. We have to go, we got to do something. Like we have to book something that's not quite so heavy. Yeah, like we and, did. Uh, and every time she does that, it's like right. a boom. It's like seeing clearly again because you get so down in the weeds. Yeah. Um, and so we try to do that. So next week we're we're going to have a show on how do you figure out what the song of the summer is? Great. Great topic, by the way. You know. I Not mean, like, heavy. Who gets to decide Yeah. what 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 qualifies? And is it is it just billboard charts, crappy stuff, or is it like beyond that? So What are you guys' rules here, by the way? Are you allowed to play music on the air? I mean mm, like commercial pop music? One minute or less. Oh, that's interesting. One that's minute. The ask you know. cap rule. Is that ask cap? I'm I don't I don't know nothing about those I know on podcasts the, you really can only do a clip and it's gotta be like It's a minute or less. So uh do you remember that old song from the nineties, Feed the Tree? Yeah, uh, it's, no. uh, yeah, it's, it's like one of these grungy pop it's like early nineties grunge pop. We did a show recently on uh, a amazing woman from Canada who built her career about understanding how trees communicate with each other. She's awesome. Oh, cool. She was just featured in like everything, the New Yorker time, everything. She was awesome on this show. And we kicked the show with a song called Feed the Tree, which was like a 90s grunge pop hit. Once in a while, if the su subject isn't too heavy, we kick with something kind of cheeky. And we do it. Megan and I love to do this knowing that a very small amount of listeners will kind of get it. But it's worth it to us when somebody sends us a note going, damn, that was that was good. <laughs> it's not for everybody. It's just That's for good. whoever gets it. Are you going to do this for the rest of your life? Uh, m maybe, but but is radio going to be around the rest of our lives, oh, Paul? Oh, dude, can we talk about that for a second, actually? I don't want to. I don't want to get depressed. Well, no, 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 because actually you're doing the thing that I think is right. Because here's what I I love this show. I listen to this show every single day. But I don't listen from noon to two. I listen on your podcast feed in the middle of the afternoon when I'm at my factory and I'm yeah. doing, now I'm into my paperwork. Uh, you're available. You've made yourself available. You're, con you're creating content every day and that content is immediately pushed out to me, your listener, right? That's where it's got to go. That was one of my battles at my old joint was they were, they were like, oh, but we have our own proprietary app. Yeah. I'm like, people are on Apple Podcasts, no, man. There's, a real, there's always a risk to being Kodak and saying film will be here forever. Uh -huh. Who would want to use a digital camera? Uh -huh. uh, the, it, 
there's always that risk. And we don't know where radio's going. I like our model financially because that's a separate thing, but it's important. Everywhere I've been is hurting financially with the exception of this place because we're basically just built on telling people, if you like us, you got to vote with your wallet and keep us. And the community has really been awesome about that. Um, but what format that is, I don't know. We've got way smarter people than me, like Veronica Volk and so many others who understand, you know, sort of multimedia, multi-platform access to the population. And that's what you have to do. So I am grateful that I don't have to figure all that out, but I'm trying to do my little part of that. If you try to figure it out when the train's already gone, then you're going to miss it. So we're trying. You you guys are doing it. You're doing it better than pretty much anyone else because you're doing you're doing your part of the hall is come in here and create the content, and then the everyone else's part is make sure that content gets delivered to yeah. everyone out there wherever it is they need it to be delivered. And you're bringing up a point that is at least very close to me, which is I hope that as long as good content is being created, it will find ways to get to people. Yeah. doesn't happen by magic. You have to figure out how to deliver it. What scares me is people our age and younger don't want to pay for anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, whether it's newspapers, but anything. Yeah. You, you know, every, every podcast you want for free, everything you want for free, and that's really hard on content creators. Well, you know, there's a tangibility to the podcasting thing where you could, you know exactly how many people listened and you know where they are, whereas radio, there was always some smoke and mirrors behind those ratings. You know how it is, like three different radio stations walk into the same advertiser and all claim to be number one, right? I, like, I, I actually don't know the commercial side that well. This is fascinating. Oh, yeah. There was, you know, but, but if you narrow it down to whatever demo, pick just one gender, one demo, one day part, you can probably find a story to tell that makes your radio station look amazing, right? And that would happen a lot in commercial radio. But in the podcast world, it's just straight up statistics. Yeah. Like it's just this is how many people it's listen. Brutal. To oh, it can be brutal. Oh, it can be real brutal. I look at some of the episodes that I've done on this podcast and like I had a <laughs> this poor kid, I had this magician kid on one time. It's just like, like literally, like seventy-eight people listen to the podcast. That's gonna be this, dude. It's gonna be this show. <laughs> no, no, this will do better. Media and food seem to do good for me for okay. some reason. Media right. and food. Well, what did we miss? Anything? I mean, Cleveland sports, but who wants that, dude? Nobody wants. That. How good are they gonna be? Nobody wants that. <laughs> You're getting, this is where everybody tunes out. My number one listener, Chuck Guglielmo, my father. He's, he's going to be like, Talk Cleveland sports. Now they're getting to the good stuff. Yeah, that's right. That's I've been right. waiting. I've been waiting way too fucking long. Yeah. I want Cleveland sports yeah. talk. Well, first of all, you got to tell me your secret. What do you have? Directv? Like, what do you do for Browns games? <laughs> I actually have a really good story about. Please. This. It involves porn. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so. Once in a while, um, once in a while, I go to TC Hooligans yeah, on they Ridge have the Road. Yeah, upstairs, right? That's right. Uh, or no, am I thinking the wrong place? I'm, I'm on, uh, so that's out on Ridge Road and watch games there. So once in a while, I go to bars to watch games. Uh -huh. But um, I decided last season that I just wanted to watch at home when I could, and I was sick of it, and I don't have direct TV and all that stuff. So a, fr <laughs> a, fr a friend of mine said, there's a couple of ways you can do it, and they're just websites. And I thought, I don't know that this is legal. Yeah. <laughs> is it legal? And he said, uh, I don't know. And I said, don't tell me if you know. I'll just go to the website. Uh -huh. So I had to click a few yeses, not realizing 
before I got the Browns-Bengals, this was the game, by the way, that Baker made that amazing throw to Donovan Peoples-Jones. That was the game that OBJ got hurt. They come back. That was the day that I did this. Got to watch that whole game. It was great. And since then, I cannot get the porn pop-ups off that computer. Oh, no. <laughs> Whatever that site was, I can't recommend it to anybody. I cannot. I've had people who are way more techie than me yeah. take my laptop and try to just sponge it. Yeah. And they can't. That's funny. And, like, and dude, it's like every half hour. <laughs> so like every half hour I get a pop-up that's just horrifying. And so my son can't use that computer. I, I can barely use it. It's yeah. very embarrassing. Yeah, I did get to see Baker complete that ball to. Yeah, <laughs> I got to figure it out for this year. I cut my cords. I got to figure it out for this year. I don't know. I'll have to get your porn site. I'll have to no, figure it out. No, no, Paul, you don't want this. <laughs> no, you don't. How often do you go home? How often do I go home? Yeah, yeah, to Westlake. How often do you go oh, home, home, home? Home, Cleveland. Home, home. Um, well, not during the pandemic, but but once or twice a year, probably twice a year. Okay. And probably for like a week in the summer. Nice. And I I get to see my family. My boy gets to see his cousins. Um, and then for Christmas. So, yeah, at least twice a year, sometimes three times. What do you do when you're not uh, Evan Dawson from Connections? I cook a lot. I, I'm not, I mean, I'm not the cook you are. I'm not that great of a cook, man. I like to make cocktails. Yeah, I like to mess go. around and invent that stuff. I like to travel. Yeah. Um, I read, I just read a lot. And because I always tell people, like, this job is just what I'd be doing anyway. Like, I, apart from talking in a studio, I read all the time. I probably would just do that anyway. Um, so I like to get up really early, and I like to make coffee, and I like to sit and read, and I like to. And then I go for a long run. I mean, that's I'm not a complicated dude. What uh, part of town do you live in? Don't get, I'm not asking you to give away your address. Just I, live like, in, I live in Shalott. Do you really? Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't. I wasn't going to picture that for you. Okay. All right. Oh, you've got me stereotyped. Dude. Yeah, I did. I had you. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I had you in Fairport for sure. I don't know why. No way, dude. <laughs> Shalott. All right, Evan. I think we might have did a podcast. I don't know. I'm grateful. I think we did it. What did we miss? Anything? I don't think I don't think so, but I'll come back for a few more hours. <laughs> really? Well, this is just the first segment. We got four more to go. Yeah, this is yeah. no, this is part one of twelve. Yeah. Well, I didn't hit record yet. This is prep. That's how you <laughs> You've never done that. that, have you? Oh God, have I done that? Is that the worst? I got two whoppers, two of them, two times where I trashed an hour of work. Uh, maybe one time it was even more than an hour. And it's work. so hard to recreate it and do it again oh. because, like, the authenticity of the first time. Oh yeah. Please tell yeah. me you're recording. Uh, yeah, we are recording right now. Yes, yeah. yes. Thank you. Have you have you uh, have you ever had to do an hour of the show? Like you just you were well, actually, I've heard you do it where you just you were dying to have a guest on. They just could not make it work time wise, so you just had to record the hour, even though in theory you wouldn't like to do that. I've heard you do at least an interview. Yeah. That was recorded earlier. One, once in a while. Yeah. Um, once in a while and. There's certain things you do to band-aid it. Yeah. But there's been very few times over seven, eight years that people haven't showed up or we've had an empty studio. Yeah. I'm always amazed at how rare that is. Yeah. Or like like 11 a.m. we get a cancellation. I'm like, well, what are we doing in an hour? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I showed up here. We Our thing was 1 o'clock today. I showed up at 1240. They told me I was super early. I was like, man, I thought I was late. Oh, no, I'm proud of you. That's. <laughs> I would love if everybody showed up that early. Are you have, kidding? Have Take you guys the stress ever, away. Have you ever been like, uh, we're going on the air at 12, it's 1157 and no one's heard from the guest? Have you oh, had that happen? Van White, if you're listening. Van White <laughs> is never findable. That guy is never. I love Van. I love you, Van. Um, but you're never findable. Yeah. Uh, always. <laughs> and that happens all the time. That one does happen all the time. All right, Evan. Thanks for doing this, man. Thanks, man.